Good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, January the 6th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. Associated Press headline is expected today. They begin on January 6th, 2021. Supporters of President Donald Trump fueled by his false claims of a stolen election assaulted police and smashed their way into the Capitol to interrupt the certification of Democrat Joe Biden's victory forcing lawmakers into hiding. And then it goes downhill from there. Other things happened on this day as well. Today in 1412, Joan of Arc was born. Today in 1838, Samuel Morris and Alfred Vail, they gave the first successful public demonstration of their telegraph in Morristown, New Jersey. Today in 1912, New Mexico became the 47th state In 1919, today, the 26th president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, he died in Oyster Bay, New York. He was 60 years old. Today, in 1941, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, in his State of the Union address, outlined a goal of four freedoms. The four freedoms were, one, freedom of speech and expression, the freedom of people to worship God in their own way, freedom from want, That would be a good freedom. And freedom from fear. That would be excellent. I'm not sure how a president of the United States can feed the country and clothe the country and give enough money to the country that they would never have want. But that was one of his four freedoms that he was achieving. And freedom from fear. Freedom from fear only comes from God himself. Today, we can create an environment where it reduces fear, but God delivers us from fear. Today, in 1974, year-round daylight saving time began in the United States on a trial basis, a fuel-saving measure. It was in response to the OPEC oil embargo. Some of you older people remember that. I've only heard, I'm kidding, I remember it well. Today in 1994, figure skater Nancy Kerrigan was clubbed on her legs by an assailant at Detroit's Cabo Arena. Four men, including the ex-husband of Kerrigan's rival, Tanya Hardy, they went to prison for their roles in the attack. And today in 2001, with Vice President Al Gore presiding in his capacity as President of the Senate, Congress formerly certified George W. Bush the winner of the bitterly contested 2000 presidential election. Well, the contest to elect a Speaker of the House by the Republicans continues. It's getting uglier each time they vote. I believe they voted 11 times. They could be voting as I speak again, but they've had no result other than no House Speaker was elected. Biden is mocking the Republicans again today. Others are doing so as well. Nancy Pelosi, of course, is doing that, but others as well. And there's kind of a growing chorus now that's saying, see, we told you the Republicans can't, they can't lead. They can't manage. They can't even manage their own affairs within the party. It's a sad, sad situation. It's continuing. 
And also, and I'm not going to talk about that today, we may have some discussion about that later, but also the RNC, the Republican National Committee, is also at odds. Rona McDaniel has been running it. Now she's people have accused her of, of misspending a lot of money that people have given to the Republican Party and travel and unnecessary jets and, you know, all this kind of thing. I don't know what she's done. I know that she has not created a winning environment which the the head of the RNC is supposed to do, and this uh, Harmeet Dillon is running against her, and she's a lawyer from California, and some fairly conservative uh, people are supporting her. We'll see how all that works out. So there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of change, perhaps, going on in the Republican Party. I hope it's for the better, but there is at this moment a lot of confusion within the Republican Party. And I would dare say if they don't get it figured out, um, it's not going to bode well in the next election. There was supposed to be a red wave in this midterm election that we had just in November, and that didn't happen. And that's uh, at least in great part, if not completely, but at great part, that's to be laid at the feet of the leadership in the party. And that's a problem. Dakar Hamlin is a uh, professional football player. He's 24 years old. Until last Monday night, he had a glowing football career ahead of him. People liked him. He's really a good football player. But on national television, with millions of people watching him, Monday night football, he made a routine tackle. He stood up, and then he collapsed on the field, unconscious. He stopped breathing. Everyone knew it was not a typical football injury. Football is a rough game. I mean, it that's the nature of the game. And uh, people get hurt playing the game, but millions watch football. We love football in America. He was rushed to a Cincinnati hospital. The crowd finally was told to leave the stadium. 40, 50,000, 60,000, whatever was in the stadium, they and they left. And the game wasn't completed. Uh, an ambulance came out right on the football field. They put him in it and, and rushed him to a Cincinnati hospital. The prognosis that came from the hospital just a couple of hours later, this was on Monday night, this past Monday night, uh, was not encouraging. The doctors were not at all optimistic. They said uh, it was not likely. In fact, one report I read was not likely that he would recover, but they would do the best they could to help. Millions of Christians were watching football on Monday night, and millions of Christians also saw this story on social media as it was being played out on Monday night. They began to pray, and people began to contact each other on social media, not only in the United States, certainly here in our country, but elsewhere, even in Europe and Australia and different places. Well, one announcer, one sports announcer on ESPN actually prayed for this young man on the air, live. And he wasn't censored, at least not yet, by ESPN. And he prayed a very strong prayer. I saw the text of what he said. And he was not just saying our thoughts and prayers are with this young man. He said, Dear God, we ask that you heal this young man. I mean, he was really a prayer. I'm thinking, man, this is not what you normally hear on ESPN. That's a sports channel. There's several of them, but that's, they come under that umbrella. Well, by last night, by Thursday evening, 
this young man, this 24-year-old football player, had awakened. And he was communicating through writing. And the doctors were saying, man, his, his, his cognitive skills and all of that part of his body is intact. Even though they said that he had essentially died twice on the field. I mean, everything had shut down in his body and they were able to resuscitate him. And that happened two different times. But now, last night, yesterday afternoon, and last evening, early evening, he had awakened and he was able to communicate by writing notes. He couldn't talk, but he was writing. It was a miraculous recovery. Nobody, including the doctors, expected that. The doctors were, I saw a couple of news uh, press reports and you know press conferences that the doctors made, and you could tell they were like going, wow, you know, and they weren't saying it was a miracle, but they kept saying it's remarkable. It's just remarkable. It was beyond our expectation and so on. But millions of Christians are calling it an answer to prayer, a miracle. They prayed for this young man. The doctors say he'll, last night, they said he'll be talking soon. Well, they were right. This morning, about an hour ago, before we came on the air, the breathing tube was taken out of his throat. He spent time this morning talking to his teammates, a man that was all but dead just three, four days ago. He's been talking to them on FaceTime. The um, this guy with the Buffalo Bills, the the team he plays for, he said it is absolutely amazing. He said he's addressing the team via FaceTime on on his computer. The breathing tube is out, and he spent the morning speaking to various teammates on FaceTime. And now this was just about an hour ago. They said now he's delivering a message to the entire football team via FaceTime. Well, you can call it amazing or you can call it whatever you want, but there seems to be an answer to prayer in this, a miracle. I don't know why God performed this miracle, if it is indeed that, and it sure looks like it. But usually when the Lord performed miracles in the Bible, the biblical account, it was for the purpose of pointing people to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a sign to the unbeliever. And I think that as this has progressed, people have been just forced by circumstances to pause, to walk out of a stadium, not see a football game they had paid to see. It's forced them to take a step back and a deep breath and say, wow, what is this about? Maybe there is a God. Maybe he does care about individuals and so on. So I share that with you today just to say, you know, so often we hear the negative aspects of life, and there's a lot of that out there. And in informing public, we have to talk, I have to talk about it on this program. Various things that are, are not positive in the sense that they're destructive and we need to be informed so we can work to change those things. But this is one of those things, and I don't know all about him. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I really don't. 
Uh, if he isn't, he certainly should be after this. But I know he's 24 years old. He's a good kid, and he's well-liked. And he's an outstanding football player. And he has been miraculously brought back, really, to life in his full capacity, seemingly, this morning. He's talking to his football team, and they all but thought he was dead just a few days ago. It's interesting how God works, but God does work. God is in control of whatever the circumstances may be. I noticed that failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton is joining Columbia University as a professor of practice at the School of International Public Affairs and so on. She's going to be bringing a special focus from the former U.S. Secretary of State, Columbia University says. She's going to be emphasizing global affairs because of her more than 40 years in the public eye. I have had the great pleasure of knowing Hillary personally for three decades, since her early days as the First Lady of the United States. That's Columbia President Lee Bollinger, he said in a press release yesterday. He said, given her extraordinary talents and capacities, together with her singular life experiences, Hillary Clinton is unique and most importantly exceptional in what she can bring to the university's mission of research and teaching. United Press International is reporting that Clinton said she is looking forward to the new roles, adding that Columbia's commitment to educating the next generation of U.S. and global policy leaders, translating insights into impact, and helping to address some of the world's most pressing challenges resonates personally with me. Well, speaking of Columbia University, I had to take a pause on this, and I want to talk to you about Columbia University just for a couple of minutes. Atheism, secularism, humanism were largely philosophical uh, imports from France and Germany and England after our Constitution was written and after the death of most of our founding fathers. It had little effect on America, though, until the latter part of the 19th century. All of the universities in America were started by Christians and Christian organizations, beginning with our first, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all of them. For about the first 126, I believe is the number, universities in America, they were founded by uh, Christians for Christian purposes and certainly to educate our children. The United States was a glowing example for decades of education. Our kids were educated. They They understood they were successful. God blessed America. Things happened in America. America was a leader. It was the light on a city on a hill and so on. But something happened during that process. And I'm going to tell you what it is. In the 19th century, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, was the first college that wasn't started by Christians. In fact, it was chartered by atheists. And it was founded in 1861. This is MIT. 72 years after the founding of America. This was followed in the 20th century by the humanist gradual takeover of our teachers' colleges and the moving of the headwaters of education to the citadel of secularism. That was and is Columbia University. 
that's a good fit for Hillary because that's where she's coming from. I know she parades her Christianity and her Methodism, and she loves the Lord and loves the Bible and loves her Methodist church and so on. I've heard her say that a million times, I think, and so have you. But she's going to be a good fit at Columbia University. It was Columbia University that John Dewey and his disciples produced progressive education. That turned out to be totally secularistic, very, very poor education by all standards. We're living with the results, with the consequences of John Dewey and his doing at Columbia University. Back in those days, there was a completely humanist-controlled Supreme Court. This present court is not that way, but it has been over the years. The Supreme Court has consistently voted ever since 1962 to force secularization on our schools by expelling prayer, the Bible, anything religious. We go through this every Christmas. It's not Christmas break, it's winter break, and it's holiday, happy holiday, merry holiday, blah, blah, blah. All of this goes back to how our children have been educated generationally. And the fountainhead of that, the, 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 the headwaters, of all of this is Columbia University. So certainly Hillary would fit in there. And I, I had to notice that when I saw the, the story today in the news that she's going to be starting to teach there on, in March. Well, I'll tell you, with religious teaching, going out the back door, being pushed out of the campuses, out of the classrooms, public education, universities across America, went the moral training and the character building that had long been a part of our once great educational system. And now you know that Hillary Clinton is going to be in there doing her part to advance the most humanistic, secularistic, anti-God platform of education in America, Columbia University. Yet she professes to be a devout Methodist interesting. The Methodists are going through their own transition. I want to talk to you a little bit about her Methodist church, the United Methodist Church. You probably know that the United Methodist Church has been in the process of trying to split for the past several years. I've talked about it from time to time on this program because it's been dragged out for a number of years, three years. They've been talking about this. One part of the six million member church in the U.S. wants to hold to biblical teaching on matters of human sexuality and marriage and so on. The other so-called progressive part wants to ordain homosexuals, bless same-sex marriages, generally advocate for LGBTQIA, XYZ, whatever, activists in the name of the Lord. And this has been an ongoing fight. It isn't just in the Methodist church, but it's the Methodist church is... One of the larger, in fact, it's the third largest uh, Christian denomination in, in America. And so they're in the, the spotlight. They're on stage with this whole drama playing out. And, of course, the activists are, have infiltrated the church, the homosexual activists, the LGBTQ people. They've infiltrated the church, and they have convinced enough of the leadership in the church that it is the call, the calling of God upon that church to endorse and support and advocate for and even um, to assist them in bringing their uh, 
beliefs and their theology, so to speak, quote-unquote, into the mainstream of the church itself, the United Methodist Church. So several times a scheduled denominational vote has been canceled. Now conservative, biblical Methodist churches are simply leaving the United Methodist Church so they can move forward with a biblical mission, causing the progressive leaders of the church to claim that they're being misled. And I saw that yesterday, and, or a couple of days ago, actually, and I, I looked at it again yesterday, and I thought, what? The biblical part of the Methodist church is being misled? The conservative biblical people within the Methodist church who believe the Bible are misled? I thought I must have missed something here, but I didn't. <laughs> they are saying that. And it's come to the forefront and spilled into the news in the North Georgia Conference of the UMC, it's shutting down the efforts of 70 conservative churches to disassociate from the liberal denomination. Now, it's not just in Georgia. It's across the country. But this came as a point of interest into the news. This Bishop Sue Happard Johnson, she heads up that conference. There's, as I said, 70 conservative churches in North Georgia. And... Uh, she is citing misinformation as the reason that these people are wanting to leave. She said, if they were informed, they wouldn't want to leave the church as the banners, the rainbow banners and the transgender banners wave from these old magnificent buildings that were built years ago for the Methodist churches, the Methodist congregations. But she says, no, they're misinformed. She said, in an official announcement, she said the convert uses uh, uses this to, as a teaching tool. And in her press release, 13 times, she says, uses the word misinformed regarding her fellow Methodist Christians who believe the Bible and want to stay with the Bible and not get off on these other anti-biblical, anti-God teaching. Mark Tooley is a good guy. He's president of the Institute of Religion and Democracy, and he is a, a, a Methodist. He summarizes the actions of the North Georgia Conference leadership with this yesterday. He made a statement. He said, the outgoing very liberal bishop and the board of trustees have said, no, we are not going to allow you to exit because we think there's too much misinformation being circulated regarding the reasons for leaving the United Methodist Church. And according to this Happer Johnson that I quoted a moment ago, many local churches have been misled, they say, about the disaffiliation process and have been presented with information about the process, about the United Methodist Church and its leadership that is factually incorrect and defamatory. We love. God is love. Love wins. This is anti-biblical for you guys to take this stand against people who are born that way and who have a different sexual orientation than you do. That's non-Christian, and you have been misinformed and misled because you believe, <clears throat> believe that biblical truth. Boy, I couldn't help but think Isaiah would say, I told you so. He told us the day would come. He told God's people there will be a time, and it was in his time and it's in our time, when evil will be good and bitter will be called sweet. Everything that is good will be turned on its head, and what is wrong will be called right. 
what is ungodly will be called righteous. Those are the days in which we're living today. We have significant concerns, they say, about this misinformation. The, the official Methodist, United Methodist liberals, are well, we're well aware that this has the potential to do irreparable harm. This is information presented to members of local churches. It goes on and on and on. Frankly, and I won't read more of their statement, but frankly, it's the so-called progressives that are trying to mislead an uninformed constituency regarding the Bible and human sexuality and marriage. And I got to tell you the truth. It's about church property. It's about the money. It's often about the money, isn't it? Last March, the Global Methodist Church, it's a more conservative Methodist denomination, a newly formed one, announced that it will officially launch in May, May of this year. However, the creators of this Global Methodist Church, there's there's millions of Methodists in Africa and elsewhere, a very biblical of Methodists. I've met many of them when I've been in Africa in ministry. But the creators of this GMC and other Methodists had previously said they would hold off from launching until after their general conference. But every time the general conference comes up, well, in one case, they didn't have it because of COVID. But the other cases, when the general conference comes up, then they don't allow this to become an issue to be voted on. So they put it off for another year or whatever. So the people that love the Lord and love the Bible that are Methodists and are trying to live that way and they want churches that lead in that direction, they say that they're not going to wait any longer and they're dropping out of Methodism or they're joining this new global Methodist church. It's anticipated that some theologically conservative local churches will find annual conferences willing to negotiate fair and just provisions, they say, but not all, and we're not going to wait. The Transitional Leadership Council decided it was time to launch this global Methodist church, and churches began to leave the Methodist denomination. I think this points out a greater issue that we have today, and that is this long battle over the church's teaching on sexuality and it, all of that, it, it, it highlights a greater problem that we have. We're living, we're living today in perilous, perilous times. These are the times that Paul was speaking about when he wrote to Timothy. Second Timothy would be the last letter that Paul would write. And the last thing that he wanted to say to this young pastor was he says, This also know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Does any of this sound familiar? Of course it does. These are the days in which we live. But look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Hey, thanks for being with me today. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.